This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. You're about to hear Monday's show, mostly as it aired on Bulls Unlimited, but we can update you with a couple of bits of information here on the Unlimited Unloaded page. First of all, if you've heard me mention that there's going to be a new type of football coaches show, it's still going to be the case, but due to the weather this week, we are going to hold off until next week for that. So next Thursday will be the debut of that show, and you'll learn more about it at that time. And when we get to the volleyball portion of the show, I got a little intel finally. It was one thing that I was curious to find out about, and you'll hear some great highlights from Saturday's action as part of the Road to Tampa Bay. Well, the logo for the Road to Tampa Bay had the number two, and I thought, okay, it's got to be obvious, and I just can't figure it out because Amelie Arena, Tampa Bay is hosting the Final Four, not two. It turns out it's not obvious, and I'll let you guys know right now. The two is for twice, because the last time we hosted this preseason event in Tampa was 2009. They called it Tampa Twice, referencing to starting and ending the season in Tampa, Tampa Twice. So volleyball and soccer in the second portion of Monday's show. We start off, if you missed it, as aired on Monday morning with some football. Whatever happens, you should definitely start off your day outside of listening to this. If you haven't already, checking out an article that... Joey Johnston wrote the third of his three-part series on Alex Golish because the third part is the story of him and how he got to America. It is amazing. I will not read it word for word. I would just tell you you have to head up GoUSFBulls.com. But it's one of those things, and just like Joey writes in the article that, oh, he's from Russia, let me look into that. And essentially, his parents decided to leave when he was seven. He had an older brother, Eugene, as well as the Soviet Union was collapsing and they decided for the safety and future of our kids, let's get out of here and barely had much money and really a small window to try and leave and they were able to. And then got to Brooklyn and Aunt was there ready with bananas and that sounds like a small detail, but it was like a lavish situation for them. They lived for a handful of years, not with many means, just getting by with jobs that would pay the bills they decided to move to Ohio better cost of living in New York though Golish and his brother actually attended an overnight camp and were able to see American football for the first time Alex loved it and the rest is history but this article doesn't really focus on that it's about what they had when they were in Russia how he's never been back he says there's stories of his mom's friends going back and it never ends well I mean it's just a lot of layers here including both Alex and his wife, Alexis, watching the show The Americans a few years ago and loved that show, by the way. I'd watch it again. And it features a Russian couple where they're both spies during the Cold War. (laughs) Alexis said, wait a second, is something going on here? But she confirmed to Joey that she no longer thinks that Alex Golish is a Russian spy. A couple of more things about it that really stood out. First of all, how Alex didn't realize, you know, it didn't matter to him that they weren't living in luxury. They had hand-me-down clothes. And now if he deals with kids, sometimes student athletes who didn't have the best upbringing or the best circumstances, he completely relates to them. He says, some of my guys are different too, maybe even more than I was. If they have nothing materially, I know that feeling. But here's the deal. It's okay to be different. It's okay to come from a different background. I tell them, man, just be you. I don't care if you're different. I just want you to be the best version of you. And then, finally, his father, Vladimir, wondering would Alex and Eugene still be alive if they stayed in Russia? They would have been in the military or there are wars. Would I still be alive? These are not good thoughts. That is impossible to say, and it doesn't matter. I do not think about Russia. There are so many better places in this world. We are in America now. We 
got a new life. It does explain, oh, by the way, the crazy hours, the hard-working, hard-driven approach that Alex Golish has. You can see where he got it from his parents, Vladimir and Bella. And there's a wonderful photo of Bella with the two kids on the beach when Golish was seven. So it was an incredible story to read, including some awesome quotes from Eugene on GoUSFBulls.com. Also on there is, and I apologize for this, we told you that we'd be giving you audio from Friday's media gathering with new receivers coach LaDamian Washington and some of that group. Well, I had to make an audible on Friday. It was a late Thursday. Remember, we had the soccer match, and I stayed up late to watch the men's match against Washington. Had to take my wife to the airport at 545, which means I got up at 415 to do the show. And then, of course, had a volleyball match to get ready for along with an afternoon meeting about a show that's coming up this week. We'll give you a little bit of hint on that. So going to the school on Friday morning, I picked sleep and actually having time to prepare for the first volleyball broadcast of the year over going to that. And the place that I thought I'd be able to grab some audio from, well, that kind of fell apart too. But fortunately, Joey Johnston was there and he wrote a tremendous article on Mr. Washington and his group and the theme is that they call themselves the misfits or at least he calls them that you can tell that's a little bit of a motivational ploy and even Sean Atkins the former walk-on who was one of the top players on the team last year still has that walk-on mentality I love to hear Washington says he's never satisfied with anything he doesn't get complacent he has embraced being the leader of the group and then two of the transfers in Naeem Simmons we mentioned him a lot he is from Wagner which of course is an FCS program but very productive last year 50 catches nearly 800 yards and six scores says he is dynamic he says I think I'm a short intermediate and deep threat coming here to USF it's like I have something to prove not only to people on the outside but to myself Washington loves him says he has speed and competitive juice mentioned his yards from last year 796 Coach Washington referred to the pursuit of 879, which is the school's single-season receiving yardage record. And he says, we don't have a depth chart now. It's a rep chart. We're trying to figure out who our guys are. I love also the first anecdote in the article on GoUSFBulls.com. Mentally tough wins a lot of ball games, especially in the fourth quarter. He says, hey, if you have a good day, maybe you'll catch five balls, maybe targeted six or seven times. What are you going to do with the rest of those 74 snaps, you better be blocking. You better be engaged in the game. And then the other receiver, and boy, remember this name, Jaden Alexis, who was good enough to be recruited by Texas, but played in only one game in Austin in two years because of two knee injuries. He says after a while, the coaches started looking for the next guy. It was unfortunate. That's football. It's next man up. I wasn't naive. I knew I had to find a new place. He remembered his relationship with Golish, who recruited him when he was down I-4, and he just got a text message, basically, Alexis did from Alex Golish, and that was that. And some quotes from Alexis there, including saying, we have so much potential, I think this group is going to be really good, and confirming that Coach Washington always says we're a group of misfits. He is a interesting story himself, Washington. Last year was the receivers coach at Oklahoma, was a standout receiver himself at Missouri, spent time with several NFL teams, so he kind of commands attention. The article towards the end also mentions some other names and some that you're familiar with, like Yusuf Terry and Joffrey Brown, but also transfers, Michael Brown-Stevens from Minnesota, Seth Jones from Baylor, 
youngsters, freshman Tyree Kelly, and Jaquan Smith. This week, we are officially in game week mode. I think by Wednesday's show, we're going to be able to announce more details. We better, because the first show will air on Thursday. I'm talking about the first new version of what has been the football radio show. It's going to be a little different. You're definitely going to hear from the head coach and a player, but there's a lot more to it. And it'll be kind of a cool thing how it lays out because with Bulls beat going from every day to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, there's going to be something on Tuesday and Thursday for you to look forward to. And that football show with some other parts to it is going to hit every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. So no Bulls beat on Thursday, but yeah, I almost said the name of the show. I know what it is. And Tuesdays, that gap will be filled by a new Bulls speed ahead. As that is official, it's going to be every single Tuesday as we have renewed the program with Michael Kelly. So we'll be taping that this afternoon and running it on Tuesday. Now, I know there's some definite weather concerns going on. Not exactly sure if we're going to have much of a show on Wednesday. The first week of football availabilities, the press conference is supposed to be late Tuesday morning with Coach Golish. And then we're supposed to hear from the coordinators, Todd Orlando and Joel Gordon on Wednesday along with some student-athletes. I would not be surprised if things get changed around, and that includes the scheduled soccer match on Wednesday night against St. Leo with the women's team. Something tells me that's not going to happen, but we'll let you know whichever way the events fall. Speaking of events, it was amazing to be at Amelie Arena and the Yingling Center on Friday and Saturday. Come to think of it, volleyball went 0-2, and both soccer teams lost 2-0, so we don't have any victories to bring you the rest of the show, but... Definitely some interesting details and some great highlights from a memorable Saturday night of volleyball Bulls against the Florida Gators. That's when Bulls Beat continues. This is Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Looking forward to hanging out today. I've mentioned that we'll be recording with Michael Kelly. Before that, you can have a chance to speak to several members of the cross-country squad as they're doing their photo and video shoot thing. So get to know several members of that team Throughout the course of Monday, you'll hear some of that audio, I'm sure, sprinkled in on the program. Again, Tuesday, you'll hear Bull Speed Ahead. We will also give you, if we can, Alex Golish's press conference live and much more details to come on our football coverage. We'll be on the air at 2 o'clock this Saturday. Pre-game, the first half hour is heard exclusively on Bulls Unlimited, and then it's the network pregame show beginning at 2.30. we got some new and exciting stuff going on. With that as well, especially on home broadcast, but of course, this week the Bulls start off on the road. Well, the Bulls were definitely at home on Friday and Saturday night, not at their usual home as far as volleyball goes, but it was still a very special event at Amelie Arena, and the Bulls lost to Georgia Tech in three sets. It was very, very much in the Bulls' control to get out to a one-set-to-nothing lead, but they couldn't quite close the deal. In the first set against Georgia Tech, Bulls led by as many as five in that first set. Anytime Georgia Tech cut it to two, the Bulls would win that next point. That lasted until it was eventually 21-17, and Georgia Tech scored four in a row, got two aces back-to-back, and then won the set. They controlled the second set, and similar in the third, the Bulls led by four points, but Georgia Tech went on a big-time run. In fact, it was astonishing. The Bulls scored seven points in a row themselves, only to turn around and be on the wrong end of a 14 nothing run and an 18-1 to run to end the match. It was called the road to Tampa Bay, and that's because the Final Four is at Amelie Arena, and you had three teams, Georgia Tech, Florida, and Penn State, that have actual plans on being in the Final Four, and 
Georgia Tech clearly is going to be one of them as they turned around and beat Penn State the next night, but it felt like a Final Four or a regional-type situation there. And we also got to see Buse Huzan healthy. She only played in a handful of matches for the Bulls last year. Only had six kills all season long. Well, she had more than that on Friday night. She was the star. Maria Andraj led the Bulls in kills, but also had more errors than kills. So Hazan really was the standout. Tizzy Pouillis, Amanda DeWitt both had four kills each. On the other side, Georgia Tech, of course, coached by former Bulls and always a Bull. She's a Hall of Famer, all-time kills leader, Michelle A. Collier. She's got a freshman from Brazil by the name of Larissa Mendez, who also stood out against Penn State in their victory. Very tough team. Also, it was kind of cool to see Liv Mogridge, the daughter of Alan Mogridge, who, of course, was the former Bulls offensive line coach. She transferred in from North Carolina, and she put away the match and had a big impact on it. Later that night, the Gators beat Penn State. It looked like it was going to a five-set situation as Penn State led 23-20 in the fourth. Well, guess what? Saturday night, late at the Yingling Center, before nearly 7,000 fans, the Bulls did take the Gators to five sets, and it was something else. Now, Florida wins, like the Gators have in every single meeting between the squads since the early 1990s, namely since Mary Wise took over as head coach. Now, they'd only played once since 2009, and in a 17-0 stretch, they had never been taken to a fifth set by the Bulls, who served notice, sorry with the puns, that they would be in it from the beginning, and unlike the first set against Georgia Tech when things went the other way at the end, the Bulls held firm. Some first set highlights here. Middle to Lewis, and that was fantastic. i tell you, Lauren Lewis with the hammer shot. Dykes served, wonderful one. Stucky sets left side to Martin, and that is blocked down by the Bulls. How about that? Tizzy Pugliese saying, hey, freshman, you can be stopped every now and then. The Bulls force a timeout on the other side. They lead it 15 to 12. What a moment that was. The Bulls will have a free ball. Maria to Lachlan. They go back to DeWitt and put it down. 23-20. Victoria deflected at the net. Schneider up. O'Loughlin sets back row to Andrade and she puts it in the corner. The Bulls have four set points. Maria Andrade. And Hazan does field it perfectly. There's going to be a chance to win the set for the Bulls. DeWitt tip shot and it is going to land on the Gators side. The Bulls win the set. Excellent serve received. Excellent composure by DeWitt who didn't go for power there. She touched it over and the Bulls have taken the first set from the 11th ranked Florida Gator. Now, of course, you knew Florida would respond, and it did, and it has a six foot six freshman by the name of Kennedy Martin, who when she hit the Amelie Arena floor on Friday night, I wanted to watch a little bit of that second match. I said, well, she must be their top player. And then I look and see she's a freshman and South Carolina Player of the Year, et cetera. Oh, yeah, she led them in kills against Penn State with 18, and she would do the same in this match with 27 kills, but... Buse Hazan was keeping pace with her until, well, the ending. But before we get to the ending, the second set went to the Gators, and the Bulls were hanging around in it. In fact, had a 12-11 lead before Florida scored the next four points, eventually went up 20-13, to and took the set 25-18. Looked like Florida was going to officially sort of exert itself in this contest, but things changed in a thrilling third set 
an amazing run put on by South Florida to go up two sets to one. Here are some of those highlights. Martin's up front, speaking of pretty good. Olakum gets a piece of it, so a chance for the Bulls as Andrade pushes it over. Now they go left side again to Martin, so she is denied twice. DeWitt dug up well by Canaan. Third attempt for Martin, she goes for touch, and Lachlan hits it straight up. Schneider underhanded pass to DeWitt, blocked down and out. What a point for USF. As Martin on that left side got three straight chances, and it's a 19 to 17 set. The Bulls keeping it interesting here in the third. Lachlan's gonna have a chance to pass it to Husay again, and it's through the block, and the Bulls take the lead. They are calling Crusay Hazan's number at every turn. And number 12 has number 12. Florida calls its second timeout. Do you hear it? Oh, yeah. The Yingling Center is a buzz. Right side, tip shot, and the Bulls extend the point. O'Loughlin gets it over, pushed by Essex. O'Loughlin passes. Schneider has to pass to Hazan, and what a shot! Crusay Hazan! Throws it into the back corner, and it's 22 to 20. This is really something else. Four points in a row for the Bulls since that service error by Andrade. So it's an 8-1 run, and the only point was an error on the Bulls' part. This is something else. Schneider dug up. Stucky goes middle this time. Bulls are ready for Essex's shot. Pusey again through the block, and that's another point for the Bulls. More Hazan than the Gators can handle, and it's 23-20. A 9-1 run. Still got to finish the deal. Schneider's been serving, incidentally. Got to give her credit. Now they're going to go to Martin. She's going to wind up, and it gets blocked down. What a point for USF. Unbelievable. Pusey means business. And it's 24-20. Still, Bulls have a third chance to go up two sets to one. Hazan to Andrade in the back row. Busey's gonna get a look, and it's down for the win! The Bulls grab the set! An amazing, amazing comeback against the number 11 team in the country. How incredible, the Bulls were down 19-14 in that set before going on a 10-1 run. Busey Hazan, who had 20 kills, had seven points in a row for the Bulls. She had six kills all of her freshman season, so quite the weekend for the Sophomore from Istanbul, she and the freshman from Illinois, Leah Schneider, on the all-tournament team, by the way. Very deservedly so. Again, 1991 was the last time the Bulls put the Gators to that much of a test, and the Gators passed the test, and they went almost exclusively with Kennedy Martin, and especially in the fifth set, where even from the back row, she fittingly put it away. And the final two set scores were 25-16, 15-8. No doubt the Bulls are running out of a little steam. You can only defend so long as the match goes on. But again with Busey, who's on 20 kills. Martin, incidentally, with 27. She had 49 attempts. Next most on the team was 20. And that was their front row only player, Victoria. No one else had more than 14. So you knew where it was going. And eventually the Bulls just couldn't stop it. But let me mention Leah Schneider. The freshman defensive standout, she had 16 digs in this match. Maria Andrade had a double-double and some brilliant moments. 14 kills, 12 digs. Amanda DeWitt, Tizzy Puyese both had 9 kills, so they almost had 4 in double figures. It was fun to watch, and like I said, Emily Arena felt like 
a Final Four NCAA-hosted event and had that big-time feel to it. And I thought, well, how's it going to be at the Yingling Center? It was better. The crowd was nearly 7,000, and hopefully it'll be a nice crowd this weekend. The Bulls return for three matches. We'll carry the one on Friday afternoon against Idaho State. They'll also play Friday night against FGCU, which is very good, and then Mercer on Saturday. Actually, Mercer's men's soccer team is going to be in town playing our guys on Friday night. Unfortunately, our guys went to Seattle, beautiful weather and all that, but did not come home with a win or a goal. As they, as I told you on Friday's show, lost to Washington 2-0. Then they went to Seattle U on Sunday and played in the afternoon, Washington time, 7 o'clock our time, and again, could not score a goal. It was 2 to nothing in the afternoon at FGCU. The women's team lost to the Eagles 2 nothing. But one very common theme, other than the score and the chances for the Bulls to score being more voluminous, well more than their opponent, especially in the women's game. The other thing that was astonishing, and I put this out on X, formerly Twitter, it may have happened in college soccer history, but I doubt it. First of all, let's just start off with the corner kick stat. Corner kicks are kind of an illustration. There's others, but they're an illustration of who has the ball more. If you're getting a lot of corner kicks, it means you're constantly putting pressure on the other team. Maybe they're blocking your shot out for a corner or you're pressuring them to the point where they have to clear the ball. Basically, if you have a lot of offensive possession, you're going to get a lot of corner kicks. You're certainly going to get at least a handful in every game. And it is almost impossible to win a game without even having a single corner kick. It means you're really not spending much time in the attacking end. Sure, you can win a game with two or three, but zero? Almost unconscionable. And it happened to both the women and the men yesterday. That's how frustrating of a day it was, because clearly the Bulls did not get dominated in either case, and yet lost 2 nothing. I watched both games. Both ESPN Plus calls reminded us of how well we have it here in Bulls land with our television broadcasts. Neither here nor there, FGCU, between some freaky video flashouts and the broadcasters saying she and Bulls instead of, you know, players' names. Uh, neither here nor there. What happened in the game? Well, unfortunately, it's kind of the similar story to what we've seen, which is Bulls dominate possession. But this FGCU team, which has had to replace a lot of its offense, had a similar game, its opener against Iowa, got outshot 25-4. to Now, they lost that game one nothing, and clearly this game should have gone the same way, but it didn't. Bulls outshoot the Eagles 22-6, to and here was, along with the corners being 9 nothing, the crazy stat, shots on goal, 12-2 Bulls, goals 2 to nothing. In other words, both of FGCU's shots on goal beat Bulls goalkeeper Arden LaRose. Now, I watched it. There was one particular sequence midway through the first half where the FGCU player had a great chance to score about 12 yards from, and it was headed on goal. I mean, it was a great scoring chance, but Vivian Bissett, the Bulls' standout defender, was there to block the shot, so it never got to the goal. So it's not like they didn't sniff anything, but the Bulls did a lot more sniffing, and unfortunately, they could not solve Olivia Molina, who is from Tampa. She's a freshman goalkeeper for the Eagles. She had nine saves in that one nothing loss to Iowa. Again, they got outshot 25-4 to in that game. This was 22-6. to Molina was homeschooled, and what a story, and she had to make a couple of tough saves. The biggest chance for the Bulls, no doubt, was Linnea Nestor, the freshman from Tampa, comes in and has immediately, on a great cross from Jade Prejean, really a nifty way of getting to the ball in between two defenders. She 
basically nudged it with her hips, and it was going into the goal, and I don't know how Molina stopped it. She had to go diving to her right as it was bouncing inside the left post. It was one of those saves that made you go, oh, no. Now, I have to be honest, 22-6, to there were not a ton of great opportunities there. It's not like the Bulls were peppering the net, but they certainly had more of the possession, 65% compared to 35 for the Eagles, who got their goals on, well, frankly, a turnover. Cena Mark Vartzen is great. She was going up the right back. There was really no one to pass the ball to in front of her. She spotted a teammate across the pitch and kind of sent a backwards pass that got intercepted. But Erica Chippa, she is a third-year player from Ohio who had two career goals, had still a lot of work to do. Again, two career goals, and she looked like a 50-goal scorer as she put a couple of moves. She was one-on-one with Bissett, tough to beat, and she got herself clear enough to get off a shot, and it was a laser shot. LaRose made a good effort, but it was a goal in the first half. And then the second goal, same thing. It wasn't like some buildup of possession. The first goal was a straight turnover, individual effort. This was a free kick from well away from the goal. It was well delivered and put right into the middle. No bull could clear it. It knocked down to the right post and got knocked into the net. And again, the shot count sort of exacerbates from there because FGCU up 2-0 is not going to be trying any more shots. They're going to be playing defense. And that's how it went. So Bulls certainly looked the better side but lost. And they're now 2-2, two and two, scheduled to play St. Leo on Wednesday night. But I have a suspicion that with the weather, that's probably not going to take place. Whenever it happens, we'll have it for you on Bulls Unlimited. I definitely want to mention Anna Suter again, playing the full 90 minutes as a forward. I'm going to call her the marathon woman because she apparently does not have a gear that permits her to be tired. Fantastic. She had five shots. She had a blast after it was 2 nothing. that Molina happened to be positioned perfectly for, or she would have scored again. Oh yeah, Corey Peace rung one off the post as well, but as for Suter, she has a team-high 15 shots and two goals against Tiana Fetai, who has the one goal and two assists. Second on the team with 13 shots, she had four in this contest. On the men's side, they outshoot Seattle 13-4. to Yep, you know where this is going. They lost 2 to nothing, And again, it was an incredible save. Seattle had basically one play on a fantastic pass, about a 40-yard pass that led to them scoring midway through the first half. Bulls did not have a ton of great opportunities, to be honest, but they certainly did at the end. Go to my Twitter page, at Derek Sharp, D-A-R-E-K-S-H-A-R-P, to see the incredible reflex save by Seattle's six foot five goalie, Charlie Lampier, on a header by Nick Scargle. Brian Schaefer throws it in, Shagun Afalabi flies in, a perfect headed pass, and it should have been a goal. Still don't know how it was stopped. That would have been with five minutes left, making it one-to-one. And then just as incredible, the put-away goal by Seattle, scored by a transfer from Kansas City, Katara Hirakawa. It was a Lionel Messi free kick, in my opinion. One proof, again, head to my Twitter X page. Bulls have to turn the page because they are hosting five incredible games in a row starting on Friday, more on them later in the week. 13 fouls on each team in this game. It was definitely physical. Bulls aren't shying away from anything, but unfortunately haven't scored in their first two games. They've definitely got the candidates. Last year, they didn't score in their first four games and broke through for two against Mercer. So maybe it's a good thing they're playing Mercer on Friday night. Incidentally, Washington turned around and lost to San Diego yesterday, a San Diego team that Seattle was leading until late and losing 2-1. to So tough competition. 
to start and to continue through the early part of the season for men's soccer. We'll talk more about them on Wednesday's show. And a heads up later Monday, we'll give you plenty of chances to hear that volleyball match if you missed it on Saturday night. That'll wrap up the Monday show. Thanks for dropping by. I'm Derek Sharp.